Hey, welcome. Welcome to River Glen. Uh, everybody, good to see you. Uh, so good to be together uh, uh, with you. Welcome to uh, River Glen here in Waukesha, and a big welcome to everybody over in Pewaukee and online. And if you're new to River Glen, uh, we haven't had a chance to meet. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want you to know that uh, our doors swing wide open uh, to you. Uh, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, and uh, we really uh, mean that. Hope you come back next weekend. We're going to begin a new series called uh, Dark Room. Uh, We're going to look at characters in Scripture who had a dark room experience. Just like a photographer takes film through a dark room to develop it, God sometimes takes people through a dark season, oftentimes uh, difficult, to uh, uh, develop our lives into something uh, greater, and that's going to be a good series, and I hope you'll come back. I'm looking forward to it, and uh, bring somebody uh, with you. Well, today we're concluding, wrapping up the series called Atypical, and I hope and pray that it has helped you to reframe and rethink the financial area in your life. Here's the big idea for the series. If you want what typical people have financially, uh, max out credit cards, lots of stress, then do what typical people do. But if you want what few people have financially, then do what few people uh, do. Two weeks ago, we began uh, this series, and we did something very atypical. Yeah, we handed out money uh, to everybody that came in one of these uh, green envelopes. Some of you are sorry that you missed that weekend. Uh, And to be clear, this was not uh, River River Glen's money. This was my personal uh, money. I went to the bank and took out enough money to give everybody a dollar. And this is money that uh, Marnie and I would have used to pay our bills and to eat on. But I asked you to carry that dollar around for a week and then bring it back uh, so that my wife wouldn't be upset at me for talking her into doing uh, this. But my goal was to help you feel some tension of carrying somebody else's money because when you carry somebody else's money, there's responsibility that goes with that. And every day, you carry somebody else's money, not my money, God's uh, money. And how you manage uh, your possessions, your savings, your inheritance is a spiritual uh, issue. Now, I've never seen $1 uh, cost so much uh, stress uh, before. I've had people say things like, I've been nervous, you know, carrying your money around. What if it doesn't come back? What if all of it doesn't come back? Are you and Marnie going to be okay. Other people thought that this might be a test, you know, like the parable of talents that we talked about the first weekend where one guy got a a bag of gold and he hid it, he buried it, and Jesus called him a wicked and lazy servant. And some people thought, you know, maybe we're supposed to go out, maybe we're supposed to bring it back maybe and multiply it and uh, bring back $2 or or $5. But this is not a trick uh, to get you to give uh, more. And apparently some of you uh, worried that uh, everyone wouldn't bring back their dollar, and so you put in some extra. You didn't trust the people of River Glen as much as I did. But you blew me away, and uh, not only did you bring back everything that I entrusted uh, to you, but after I took out our money, we received uh, more than 700 extra dollars. Yeah, so that was awesome. Yeah, way to go. That's fantastic, yeah. And uh, I want you to know that every one of, uh, every penny of those extra 700 went into our Christmas offering to improve our, our space for students and uh, children in, in Waukesha and in uh, Pewaukee. Now, if you haven't had a chance to return that dollar and you want to do that uh, today, uh, we've got these containers. You can't miss it. It's got this handsome picture right here on it. And uh, you can drop that dollar in the uh, tray on your way out. And uh, every dollar from this point forward is going to go toward improving space for student and children. Now, 
I've entitled this last message of this series, Atypical Decision, because I want to challenge you to make a decision, an atypical decision today, and uh, it involves your hands. Some of you were here last week, and we did this exercise where I asked you to squeeze your fist for as hard as you can. I actually timed you for 20 seconds, and some of you remember how hard it was to open your hand after squeezing a fist, a clenched fist for just 20 seconds. Imagine how hard it would be to open your hand after clenching a fist, maybe for an hour or a, a, a day. And then we open our hands wide open, which feels so good. It is the uh, most liberating, peace-filled move you can do financially to open your hand before God. But it is so atypical. It involves your, your hands, but here's how I want to begin uh, today. I want you to think about all the things in your life that you measure or track, all the things you measure or track in your life. Some of you are probably wearing a Fitbit right now, and you're tracking your steps, and you're trying to get to that elusive 10,000 steps per day. Why? Because doctors say that's the, that's the number of steps that are, that are good for getting in shape and staying in shape. Every day when you get in your car, you know, you track something, you measure something right in front of you. Your, your speedometer, right? And, you know, you constantly uh, look at that, not, not, not to uh, avoid an, an accident. Maybe some of you look at it for that, but many of us, you know, we look at the speedometer to avoid a ticket. Yeah. Uh, for some of us, every morning you step on a scale and measure your weight. Some of you are like, that sounds miserable. I know. But every time you go to the doctor, that's what they do, right? They, they have you step on the scale and, they, and then they also check your blood pressure. When you take your kids, they'll plot the weight and and height over time. But the reason doctors measure those things is because they want to make sure that we're healthy. And some of us know that one of the most important measurements is cholesterol, to look at cholesterol levels over time, because the number one killer in America today is still heart disease. We measure and track what matters to us. What's important to us? And as we wrap up this uh, series today, here's the question that I want us to wrestle with. How would I measure if I'm generous? And does it even matter? Um, how do we measure generosity? And if you could measure it, would you even want to? You know, some people are like, you know, I don't want to step on a scale. You know, I don't even want to know. But what if I told you that just like measuring your cholesterol helps you avoid the number one killer of your heart physically, what if I told you measuring your generosity, measuring your generosity was just as important to avoid the number one killer of a person's heart spiritually? You might say, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Well, take a look at what Jesus had to say here in Matthew chapter 6. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This word heart in the original language here is the word cardia. But it's not referring to your physical heart. Jesus is referring to your desires, your emotions, your choices, everything about you, your heart. And uh, he, here's what Jesus said. I've got these props over here to illustrate. He said, uh, where your treasure is, uh, your heart follows. And uh, you can almost see here, it's almost like there's a chain connecting uh, these two. And you know what? This really isn't a, a biblical thing or a Christian thing. It's a thing thing. Wherever you invest your money, your heart follows. For example, let's say that you buy a house. What happens after you buy a house? You know, you start thinking about the house. You start cleaning the house, repairing the house, insuring the house, remodeling uh, the house. Your, your heart 
follows your treasure. Or let's say that you invest in some stock. You never really cared about stock before, but now you check the stock every day because your heart follows your treasure. Your heart is chained to your treasure. Now, Jesus isn't saying, you know, don't buy stock, don't buy a car, don't buy a house. No, no, no. He's saying, be aware, be alert that your heart is chained to your treasure. It follows your treasure. And Jesus wants your heart. Jesus demands your heart. And this is why we need to pay attention to our our money. Because when we measure generosity, what we're really measuring is how connected is my heart to God? How aligned is my heart uh, to God? How much of this is going to the things of, of God? So how do we measure generosity? And can we even do that? Can we do that? Well, I think Jesus gives us the answer in Mark uh, chapter uh, 12. I want want you to try to put yourself in this story in Mark chapter 12, but you need to understand some context. The story takes place on Tuesday, just a few days before Jesus dies on the cross on Friday. He can count the hours. And so he's pouring himself into his disciples and really emphasizing what matters most. He's already ridden into town on big donkey and little donkey and stirred up the town. We talked about that last weekend. And he enters the temple courts for the last time. And he begins teaching. In the midst of his teaching, he takes his disciples to a very specific place in the temple courtyard, a covered area, a small covered area called the temple treasury. And they would have had 13 trumpet-shaped offering receptacles Kind of like this one uh, right here. We're going to pick up the story in, in verse 41. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. So Jesus and his disciples, they head into the temple courtyard. They go over to the temple treasury, and Jesus sits down across from where people would drop in their uh, offerings. And the word for watched means to watch with a discerning eye. And so basically he tells the disciples, hey guys, let's people watch. Let's watch people give their offering and observe their generosity. And uh, and it says many rich people threw in large amounts. And uh, you may wonder, well, how did did Jesus and his disciples, how did they know people gave large amounts? You know, I mean, what'd they do? They walk up to people and say, hey, what'd you give? You know, did you give a large amount? What was it? No, they didn't do that because they didn't, remember, they didn't have any paper money. All their money was, was coins, okay? Gold, silver, bronze, and copper coins. And each one of those coins represented a different value. For example, a gold coin would have had a value in today's money of $350. A silver coin was called a denarius, and it equaled one day's uh, wages. And many people gave large gifts this day because it was Passover uh, week. They remembered during Passover when the death angel passed over the home of their ancestors, sparing the life of the firstborn uh, child. And so tens of thousands of people poured into Jerusalem that week, and they would take their offering, they would go to the temple, and they would uh, drop it in this uh, container, and it would have sounded like this. You know, and you you could have heard it. And so put yourself in the story. Imagine, imagine you're one of the disciples and you're watching people put their gifts in. How would you measure a large gift, a generous uh, gift? For most of us, I think we probably have an amount in our head, you know, and we think, oh, now that's generous. 
And uh, I don't know for you, maybe it's $100, maybe it's $1,000, maybe it's, maybe it's uh, $5,000, uh, maybe, maybe $10,000. Uh, dollars. And so, for example, here's what uh, $500 might have sounded like. And here's what I think $5,000 would have sounded like. And then here's what, let's say, uh, $10,000 would have sounded like. Ten thousand one, right there. There we go. Yeah, yeah. So imagine, based on sound, that you watch somebody drop in ten thousand dollars, and you turn to your friends and you're like, "Whoa, did you see that?" And then somebody else comes up and they drop in twenty thousand dollars, and you go, "Whoa, that's unbelievable!" And then I think something happened that probably stunned everybody. We know from Matthew chapter six that uh, some people would give large amounts and they'd make a show out of it, they'd make a production out of it, they'd make a, a, a spectacle out of it. And I imagine there's somebody, you know, who came up with just a big bag of money, you know, and he's like, excuse me, you know, excuse me, excuse me, I've got this big bag, if, if I could get to the front of the line, it would really be helpful. And he starts pouring in this money and your jaw, I mean, just drops. I mean... It just keeps going and going, just pouring in and pouring in, and you're like, you know, that's like, that's like $200,000, and uh, I think most of us would agree, that's a pretty large gift. You know, we would, we would think that's some really big-hearted, open-handed uh, giving. Jesus, did you see that? And uh, you look over and Jesus isn't even watching. Jesus is looking at something entirely different. You know, pick it up here. In, let's pick it up in verse 42. It says, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Here comes this humble, raggedy-looking woman who drops in her offering, and it sounded something like this. Yeah. And uh, it was two, two mites which were the smallest coins in the Roman world. Two mites would have been made out of the thinnest shaving of copper, worth about a quarter of a, of a penny. And, and I think Peter, because Peter would often put his foot in his mouth, I think Peter was probably going like, that was lame. That was nothing. Why would she even bother? And I think Jesus locked eyes with Peter and gave Peter the death stare or the stink eye or whatever Jesus uh, gave and Jesus uses this widow to teach one of the most important financial principles that you will ever learn. Don't miss this. Verse 43, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this uh, poor widow has put, I want everybody to say this with me, more into the treasury than all the others. And, and I think maybe Matthew, Matthew's a tax collector. I think, I think Matthew uh, raised his hand and uh, said, you know, excuse me, Lord. You know, I, I, I hate to interrupt you, uh, but I know you're a carpenter, and uh, you probably had some very basic math classes uh, growing up, and the rest of these guys are fishermen, and they didn't have any math classes, and I'm a tax collector, and uh, I had advanced calculus. Uh, you guys probably, probably didn't know that. Uh, so guys, I've been watching this whole time, and, and it's been great for me to be here, 
And I know we've been sitting here for a while, and uh, Lord, maybe you got sidetracked a little bit. Maybe you didn't see what some other people gave. But I've been running some numbers in my head, and I've been doing uh, some math sitting here. And uh, I hate to correct you, but mathematically, she gave the least. And Jesus looks at Matthew, and he looks at all the disciples. And as only the, the, the one who owns it all could say, he says, guys, you completely missed it. All these other people that you saw, they gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. You see, here's what Jesus knew that nobody else uh, knew. He not only knew the amount that people gave, he knew the income of each person who gave. And therefore, he knew the proportion of their income the gift represented, not just the actual amount, but the proportion, the percentage. And so here's the atypical principle, financial principle Jesus taught that day about measuring generosity. God doesn't look at the amount you give, but the percentage that it represents. But we get confused about this because our, our, our world gets caught up in amounts. We hear about somebody giving $500,000 to build an orphanage or somebody giving a million dollars to build a building. Or last year, the speaker at the graduation at Morehouse College who paid off the student loans of every graduate over $40 million. Large amounts make headline news in our world. But amounts don't hit God's headlines. Because God looks at proportion, not amounts. And we see this all throughout Scripture. Now, here's how this applies uh, to, to some of us. We have people of all different income levels in our church. Maybe some of you don't, don't, don't make a lot and you don't have a lot, but you faithfully return the first 10% of your income called a tithe to God, believing that it belongs to him and honors him. But sometimes when you hit that uh, button, you know, on your phone or on your computer, or maybe when you look at your giving statement at the end of the year, you say something like, oh, that's such a small amount. Can God even do anything with such a small amount? But I want you to know that is not how God looks at your offering. Don't think that way because God doesn't look at the amount. He looks at the proportion, at the percentage now, on the flip side, maybe God's really blessed some of us with wealth. Maybe some of us are really blessed by God with the ability to earn uh, money. And you might feel really good when you give a significant amount of money. And uh, maybe other people, if they knew what you were, were giving, they would be very impressed. But remember, God doesn't look at amounts because God owns it all. God is loaded. God looks at proportion. He measures generosity based on a percentage. And so if that's how God views and measures uh, generosity, it raises a question. What, is, what, what percent is generous? What is a good benchmark uh, for uh, generosity? What percentage? Well, throughout Scripture, God teaches his people to give a, a tithe. A tithe means a tenth, 10%. For example, in Leviticus chapter 17, it says a tithe of everything uh, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. A tithe, which means a tenth, is the, is the percentage that God has established for his people to, to protect their heart, to align their heart with, with his. We see the same percentage in Malachi chapter 3. It says, bring, it doesn't say give, uh, bring or return, because it, because it belongs to the Lord, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse 
that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Only time in the Bible God invites us to test him. Says of the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to, 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 uh, to, to share it. Now, some people view tithing as just Old Testament, but for me, I find it very inspiring, very motivating how people gave who, who lived before Jesus. I mean, they disciplined themselves and they gave the first 10% of their income to God without many of the blessings that we enjoy today, without the forgiveness of sin, the assurance of heaven, the fellowship of the church, without the Holy Spirit in their heart, without the new heart that Jesus gives us. We have far more blessings today. And I, I want to I be at least as generous as those who lived before Jesus. And Jesus mentions tithing in uh, Matthew chapter 23. He said, uh, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you, you hypocrites, you give a tenth, a tithe of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without uh, neglecting the former, without neglecting tithing. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but, but swallow a, a camel. Now, if measuring generosity or tithing were unimportant, this would have been the perfect time for Jesus to say, hey, forget about tithing and, and measuring. That's old covenant. Just give whatever you feel like. Or he could have said what he said all throughout the Sermon on the Mount for various teachings. Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I say to you, but he didn't do that. Jesus affirmed tithing as the measure of generosity. Now, I want you to know, I don't just uh, teach this on, uh, to you. I don't just talk about this. I practice this. And uh, I want to tell you just a little bit about my financial uh, story. Not, not to say look at me, but look at God. I can remember as a teenager and young adult, I didn't measure generosity or any area of my finances. I was a really poor money manager. As a young adult, I remember uh, I began uh, feeling tension and stress in this area of my life. Looking back, I lived with a clenched fist. You know, it's mine and uh, I can do whatever I want with it. I didn't really invite God into this area of my life. Then I graduated college and I got a job and a salary, and I started making, making more money. Now, did I have a savings account? Of course I had a savings account, but I just didn't have anything in it. I, I, was, a, I was a spender, and I took on some debt, and I regretted it. I paid my stupid tax, as uh, Dave Ramsey likes to call it, for making a dumb financial decision. Maybe some of you have been there. You've paid your stupid tax, or maybe you're uh, paying it now. But then I got married, and I married really well, and marriage brought some accountability into this area for me that I really needed. And it was like a new beginning for me. Uh, two weeks ago, I shared some of the financial decisions that we made early in our marriage, like paying cash for everything outside of our home mortgage and paying off our credit card bill at the end of every month. But here's the best financial decision that we have ever made. We made the atypical decision to start giving 10% back to God. And you know what? You couldn't pay us enough to stop. Because nothing will bring peace into your finances and into your heart and into your life and even into your marriage and, and family. Like this decision to go from this to this before God. But I know it can feel scary for us because, you know, we, we, we fear that if we give, you know, we, we might not have enough uh, left over. It is a step of faith. 
But here has, here's what we have learned. Here's what we found. Trusting God with 90% goes further than 100% on your own. Nothing invites God to come in and bless your financial situation like this atypical decision to honor him with the tithe. Now, I'm not saying that God always blesses financially. I don't know all the ways that God blesses, but I know that he does. Maybe God blesses your generosity by uh, blessing your marriage, giving you a great marriage. Uh, I feel like God has blessed our marriage. I, I have an amazing wife. And reducing financial pressure has enhanced our marriage. Maybe it's your kids. God blesses, and your kids are doing awesome. Maybe it's your car. It doesn't break down as often, or your appliances last longer than they should. Maybe it's downsizing. There's downsizing going on, but it, but it, but it always seems to avoid your job or your industry. Maybe every single time you need something, it just happens to be on sale. You know, I don't know all the ways that God blesses, uh, but when you trust him, he will bless and do more with your 90% than you can do with 100% on your own. And, and I believe you cannot outgive uh, God. I've never met someone in financial disarray and said, uh, what happened? And uh, they say, I, I outgave God. Yeah, it finally happened. Outgave him. You, you'll never meet someone who has outgiven God because when God finds somebody who invests in what he cares about, God blesses that person in this life or the next life. And I know some people may be tempted to think, well, this pastor is just trying to get my money. But if you think that way, I say this in love. I would rather you go to a different church where you trust the leader and you start tithing there than stay here and, and live like this because you don't trust me or uh, you don't trust our leaders. Now, I don't want anybody to leave. But that's how important this is to me. I don't want you to miss, on, miss out on God's blessings in your life and uh, in your family and in your marriage. Your heart counts on it. Life is so much better when you live like this. I, I came across a story. This is a true story. In 1987, a plane took off from Portland, Maine, heading to Boston. The pilot's name was Henry, Henry Dempsey. Henry hears a sound, he's the pilot, he hears a sound in the back of the plane, and so he leaves the controls, he turns it over to his co-pilot because he's going to go back and check out the sound in the back of the, uh, the, the, the plane, but, but when he went back, what he didn't know was that somebody didn't latch the door correctly, and so he, when he went back to check on the noise, uh, which was a rackety door, the plane hit some turbulence, he runs into the door, the door flies open, and he gets sucked out of the plane. The red light comes on on the dashboard. The co-pilot sees it. He turns around. He doesn't see Henry, calls his name. He radios uh, the tower and says, my pilot has been sucked out of the plane. He's got to make an emergency landing. He says, send an emergency crew to search for him. What they didn't know until the plane landed was that when Henry got sucked out the door, he had the wherewithal to grab the ladder outside the plane right next to the door at 200 miles an hour 4,000 feet in the, uh, in the air until the plane landed. And here's, here's my favorite part of the story. When the emergency crews uh, got to Henry and he was holding onto the ladder, it took them several minutes to pry his fingers off the, the ladder. I mean, you can only imagine the conversation. Mr. Henry, it's really okay. You can let go. You're safe. You can let go. He had such a hard time letting go. 
he was really white-knuckling it. And maybe some of us have a hard time opening our hand to God. You're holding on with everything that you've got. You're white-knuckling it. But if you learned to live like this, you would see that God is faithful. And it would bring peace into your heart and into your uh, life. And so I want to give all of us a moment today to be able to open our hands before God. I want to give you a chance to make an atypical decision before God that may be the single best financial decision that you ever make in your life. Now, there are many others at River Glen who could tell you how they have seen so many blessings um, from God when they have uh, opened their hand and and uh, open their hand to God with percentage uh, giving. And I want you to hear from one of them. His name is John uh, Hammersley. And during the video, our team is going to pass baskets uh, with a card in it that says atypical on it. And I want you to take one of these cards. This is for you to keep, okay? We're not turning this back in. Uh, you're, you're not giving this back to us. Uh, you get to uh, take this with you. So uh, take one uh, as you watch the uh, video. And uh, take a look at the uh, screens. My name is John Hammersley. Uh, I've been coming to River Glen for about four and a half years now. So I would say that my tithing story started pretty solidly this summer. I broke my leg this summer um, pretty badly. And um, as part of that process, ended up laying in my yard for four hours. All alone, nobody's home. Um, and I had to wait for my wife to come home. When, when you're laying in your yard by yourself for four hours with a broken leg, you have time to think and you have time to to, to realize just how precious life is. Um, and I do distinctly remember at one point, um, pain of my leg was absolutely terrible. And, and I would take time and I would pray. I would ask for some relief. And, and that relief would come. And, and then things would be okay. And then my, my pain would flare back up again and I'd pray again and my relief would come. And that happened four times in the time I'm laying in my yard by myself. It was one of those moments where it just kind of became a defining moment in, in your faith walk where you're like, yes, like this, this really has happened. Um, I really did experience God helping me when I asked. It's a blessing in disguise. I mean, who would have thought throwing myself, you know, 10 feet off of a second story balcony would have been the catalyst for this like amazing transformation in my life. And my wife and I had some really good conversations during that time um, about what was truly important what really mattered to us. That was a point where I was like, yeah, tithing really needs to become um, a huge part of my life. Um, I was an occasional giver, and now, you know, I, I give all the time. We've made some adjustments in our life, um, things that we thought were important that aren't necessarily that important anymore. Um, I don't get Starbucks coffee every morning, and I'm okay with that. I've got this really good amaretto coffee, and I make it at home, and it's great. Um, so I didn't have to give up coffee. I just had to change where I got my coffee from. We've, we've changed our priorities in our finances, and um, it really hasn't been that hard. I remember when I always thought of it as my stuff. Uh, I was very possessive of, of my items and, uh, and my money and my things. Um, and now that I realize that I'm just a caretaker, um, being generous, giving it away, it, it, it's okay. And uh, it doesn't run my life anymore. It wasn't mine to control to begin with. It's God's. So why am I so obsessed with how it's being used or who should get it? 
it's weird when you think about giving away 10% of your money when you just you don't have it anymore you, and the, of course those those things come into your mind oh, how am I gonna make this bill like how am I gonna pay this you know where's the money gonna come from this what if I had all those conversations and it just it has been a problem things just work the bills still get paid um, you know, the the what-ifs just don't seem to materialize I spent more time worrying about things that could happen than the things that actually were happening I mean I don't even know how to put it in other words it just happens uh, it's it's magical it's it's god math you know you know call it what you want but it just works out and I, I can't explain why Let's give John a hand. I appreciate him sharing his story. I love atypical stories uh, like that. And I want to give you a moment to make a commitment uh, to God. And this is just between you and God. We're not going to collect these cards. And here's the commitments that uh, you can uh, make. Here's the first one here. I acknowledge that everything belongs to God. Uh, it, it, it's all, it all came from him. It all belongs to him. Don't underestimate the importance of this uh, this decision. It is a spiritual decision. The second commitment is that I am committing to tithing uh, 10% faithfully. And I know that's a new step uh, for some of you. And it might feel scary. Some of you, maybe you've never trusted God in that way uh, before. But you know what? It's also going to be exciting uh, to see how God uh, works in your life and to see how God uh, blesses. I would encourage you to trust God and try it. Try it for 90 days. God says, test me in this. I will bless you. Or maybe you already tithe and uh, you want to check that box and renew your uh, commitment uh, to tithing. And then third, some of you uh, are already tithe, but uh, maybe you want to check this box and give beyond a tithe. Start giving beyond a tithe. Marty and I uh, tithed uh, faithfully for many uh, years and, it, and we got kind of complacent uh, 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 with it. It became kind of a routine for us, and, and then we sense God uh, nudging us uh, to go beyond and move to another uh, posture. And I think of it this way. We went from uh, uh, hands open to palms down and surrendered even more uh, to God, and God did more in our heart and through our, our, our lives. So as you think about your decision today, I want to challenge you by reminding you what you're investing uh, in. Uh, this is our, our, our growth at River Glen for 23 years. And uh, you can see the line, God just uh, consistently growing our church and even accelerating the growth in uh, recent years. We've helped start nine church plants since 2006. And uh, number 10, we're helping start next uh, month. We now serve 11 community uh, partners uh, locally. And so, you know, when you give financially to River Glen, uh, you don't just support Waukesha, Pewaukee, online. I mean, you support a portfolio of new churches and missions around the world and organizations in our community. And uh, look at that, almost, almost 900 baptisms in the last uh, 10 years. I don't know of any investment that has that kind of uh, growth rate because this is investing in people. And these are people that you will meet in heaven. And this is all possible only because of people in the past, River Glen's past, who made an atypical decision. And they said, you know, I'm going to open my hands to God. 
and I'm going to invest in something beyond myself. And so I'm going to say a prayer, and then our team is going to play some instrumental music to give you a moment and uh, fill out your uh, uh, card. This is for those of you that, that call River Glen home. If you're, uh, if you're with your spouse, you can do this together. Marnie and I are making this commitment today. And then this card, keep this. Take it with you and put it somewhere where it will remind you. I'm going to put mine in my wallet. You could put this in the middle of your kitchen table. You could put it on a mirror. You could put it on a, a refrigerator. Wherever, wherever you put it, it'll, it'll remind you of your uh, commitment. Let me uh, pray for us, and then you can, uh, you can fill that out. Father, I want to pray right now for people who are making commitments today. I pray for marriages, that you would bind them together and that they would trust you together. I pray for those who are, who are single and for those who are on fixed incomes and maybe it's really scary to trust you in this way. God, I pray that you would surprise them with your faithfulness because we know that you will. And God, may we all trust you to greater levels. May we live an atypical life in an area where we need to, to trust you more. And, and God, may we never forget your generosity to us and how you've given everything to us, including your one and only son. We are forever grateful. And we lift our prayers to you in his name. Amen.